Hey guys, welcome back to Queer Fears. We are going to cover our second part of the Bruce MacArthur case today. I'm Cassie. And I'm T. And we are missing uh, our third party, Kylie, this evening. Um, she's out of town. She's working hard, but we love her. And she gave us permission to go on without her for this episode. So that's what we're going to do. All right, guys. Let's get boozy, because the second part is a doozy. All right. Hey, everyone. So, yeah, welcome back to Queer Fears here. Uh, again, we started on Bruce MacArthur last time, and so we're going to continue on into a part two of Bruce MacArthur here, where we're going to get a little bit into the investigation, a little bit more into what happened to our victims, and uh, you're going to learn whether that whole cannibal thing ever led anywhere. So let's get to it. So when I left you off last time, we had just met a mysterious man, John Doe. And so mysterious man here had gotten into a van, a a red Dodge Caravan that we had singled down to belonging to Bruce, as Bruce was the only person at this time in Toronto who owned this van and had also had interaction with the police, as you will recall. And so... We have mysterious man John Doe here and saw Joe Don, John, Joe, Joe Don, Don, Joe, Joe Don, 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 Joe Don, Don, John, Joe Don. Yes, you know, it happened. <laughs> so John, this is not the speech impediment again. This is just me messing up. John Doe, a.k.a. mysterious man. Let's just call him Eminem. Mysterious man. Mysterious Eminem. man. Not to be confused with the rapper or the delicious candy. <laughs> no, I mean... Anyway, that, I'm not going to make that joke. Okay, so anyway, this guy had just gotten into a van here with Bruce MacArthur and had looked behind him and saw in this Dodge Caravan a bunch of tarps and a fur coat. And he was like, what the fuck? Like, who carries tarps around in a fur coat in, in their van, their Dodge Caravan? You know, most people, if you have tarps, you know, and a Jeep Wrangler, a little less suspicious or probably camping or something, but a minivan. A little weird. Like people don't just carry tarps around their minivan. Wait, was it was it like a like gutted out minivan, or was it just like did it state that it didn't state whether it was gutted out or not? But based on what happened, in this minivan, I almost would assume that it was, but it did not tell me right. that it, if it was gutted yeah. out or use those I, words. I'm picturing like Dexter style, like a tarp laid out in this like gutted minivan, and like a fur coat hanging like <laughs> on the the little hook that comes with them like he didn't remove the hooks he just like took the seats out so there's like yeah yeah, yeah that's, that's some weird shit that's kind of what i'm picturing too so anyway basically mysterious man john doe he ended up um having sex with bruce in this van and bruce had wait 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 m squared uh had sex with him after he saw the tarp and yeah. the fur coat yeah oh yeah man. so survival tip if you get in a van with a tarp and a fur coat like don't have sex with that person yeah guys i mean we we don't make a point to like you know make fun of any of our victims or even almost potential victims but come on dude yeah come on well i will i will preface this with saying that they're they're in the documentary i watched they said that bruce had tied his arm i don't know if this happened before or after the sex um so it could be possible that he was like tied down before this happened and so it may not have been consensual but this was not specified in the documentary so i don't want to say one way or another but regardless so he had been tied into this van with bruce and uh had sex with him and 
right after that, though, or like during it, Bruce basically started to strangle him instead of continuing having sex with him. And he did this for about three to four minutes, but this man survived. And so this man managed to pull his right arm out, which was the arm that had been tied, and he basically turned himself around and flipped himself on top of Bruce and then was able to press the van button to open the door and then like ran out and told Bruce, hey, I'm calling the cops. And Bruce just took off running. And so this guy's a badass. He was like, "Uh uh-uh, this ain't happening. You and your tarps and your fur coat. So let me just freaking flip myself around here and and prove to you this ain't happening and so that's what he does yeah and so i guess bruce actually had a uh, a dash cam in his van and so the dash cam footage that was recorded actually you could see bruce like running away from his own van because this guy was like i'm gonna call the cops on you and so bruce actually ran to the cops that night bruce MacArthur did and he ran and he was like hey just want to let you guys know like this thing happened in my van, but it was a huge misunderstanding. Like, I was not intending to do anything. I let the guy go. Um, he was like, we were just having, like, rough sex. I let him go. It's a huge misunderstanding. And it turns out that Canadian law says that when something like this is reported, they're supposed to take pictures 72 hours, within 72 hours of the event, of, like, the van and all that stuff. That didn't happen. They didn't do that. They didn't follow up on it. So... Detective called up this John Doe mysterious man and was like, hey, um, we know that that you had an interaction, a violent interaction with a gay man named Bruce. And so they interviewed him. They interviewed him for about three hours. And this is essentially what made Bruce like a subject of interest in this whole case where they were finally like, hmm, we should really start to look into this guy, even though all this other stuff has happened. And they just finally now, you know, years later, were like, we should look into him. Give me, I may need a reminder. You might have mentioned this in the last episode. Um, so it wasn't a dead giveaway when he was Bruce on the calendar for Andrew. Like, what happened there? Like, they're like, now they're like, a, a year later after this guy, hey, Bruce, you might be a suspect. Yeah, so they had been kind of looking into him after that whole calendar thing. It wasn't like they just brushed it off. Um, they were looking into it, but... Once this whole thing happened, they were like, okay. And so this whole thing basically kind of started um, an investigation where they started following Bruce around. And they started following him between like right after uh, Kinsman went missing and up until like a year later or so. And that's why they were they were following these leads and stuff over this point in time. So it wasn't like investigations take time. Exactly. Yeah. So it wasn't like they just ignored the fact that he was on the calendar and stuff and that he was in Skanda's phone as Silver Fox and all of that. They they were following it a little bit. But this once they got this call and uh, this this whole thing kind of led to the point where they were like, we really we've got enough evidence. We can really start kind of investigating this guy now. Right on. And so let's take a break here real quick, um, talking about this victims and, and what happened before we get a little bit more into the investigation. I'm going to talk a little bit more about Bruce's background. And so we had talked about it a little bit earlier, and, and Kylie had actually had some questions about his family life and stuff like that. And so uh, let's talk a little bit about, about his, uh, his background here. And so basically, um, Bruce grew up with like an alcoholic father, as, as many um, times we see with people who then commit violent crimes later in life you can kind of go one way or another with that and so he grew up in a, in a family life that wasn't the greatest um he basically was very 
um, I guess, ashamed of, of who he was. And he struggled with it early in his childhood and kind of repressed it. And he didn't really talk about it with his father or anything was he, because he was scared. And so he ended up getting married and he did have children. And so, he, of course, he was a grandfather. We mentioned that earlier. So he was married. He did have children. And uh, after a little bit, he came out and he moved to Toronto. He worked as a in a like a big landscaping company, lived in an apartment there in mid Toronto. And he frequented this village and, and met a lot of friends. And everybody was just like, no, Bruce is just a good guy. Like one guy was like, Bruce is the kind of guy that you would like go visit and you would order pizza and like watch the Golden Girls with. Like he very much put on this persona. <laughs> Okay, I hate Bruce, but I do love me some golden girls. <laughs> and so he grew up on a farm and he did have a little sister and his father was an alcoholic and very abusive. And so Bruce often uh, would hide who he was from him, but he also would like lock his younger sister um, in bedrooms and stuff away from his father because he wanted to protect her. And so, you know, you suspect that some bad things probably happened to his sister, but Bruce never admitted it or like confirmed any of that. But reason, I mean, he's locking his sister away. So you have reason to believe that there was some pretty intense abuse going on there. Um, was his dad, was mom in, in the life or was mom like deceased or left or did it not talk a lot it didn't talk a lot about mom it mostly talked about dad and kind of the issues with with him it didn't talk too much about mom so i'm not entirely sure and so segue a little bit from there he grew up uh, kind of in the 1950s and the 1960s uh, and he grew up realizing he was gay he knew pretty early on that yeah i'm probably gay Um, but of course he had a hard time growing up with that and accepting that especially with the home life he was having and so society was not tolerant at that time obviously um and he didn't really discuss that with his family he grew up in a very religious family and he went to high school married his high school sweetheart and they ended up having children and grandchildren and they were overall just kind of a comfortable family and so this was kind of his background he was coming from and eventually throughout this marriage he realized that you know i could go lead a double life i am gay and i you know i did go and marry my high school sweetheart i do have these kids and and these grandkids and stuff but I could go lead a double life. I can go explore this side of me. And so he tried to hide it for most of his adult life. But during the 70s and 80s, he started to have a lot of gay affairs. And so he started reaching out to a lot of different men and he would frequent these villages and whatnot. And so he actually, the the same John Doe that in that, that uh, different John Doe, there's actually four people who survived um, Bruce MacArthur here. We're just talking about kind of one that happened earlier, but there was another one. They didn't, only one of them identified himself as far as I know. And so we just kind of refer to them all as John Doe. There might have been a second one, I think, that had their same, they also identified themselves. But for the most part, they, they remained anonymous. And so there was another guy who had came out and he basically said that, you know, he had had sex with Bruce MacArthur one time. And um, he they had a discussion after they had had sex where Bruce was like, you know, no one knows I'm gay. But then eventually someone had outed him to his wife. And so this basically led to like a crumbling of his life. And so he divorced his wife in the late 1990s when the kids were in their teens. And that's when he really started to frequent the, the community and whatnot. So to answer Kylie's question back in the day of whether he went home to a family, no, because they were divorced, but he did have kids and he did have grandkids. But they did get divorced in the 90s, so about 20 years before this was happening um, because of the fact that he was outed to his wife as being a gay man. So... Continuing on from there, so let's get back. So that's just kind of, we just want to give you a little background here on Bruce and and kind of the background he came from. Again, none of that excuses any of the terrible things he did, but it does give you a little bit uh, of a look into his his mentality and... A little bit insight on maybe his mental stability. I mean, yeah, I mean, what what he did is monstrous, but 
we see this a lot with serial killers and it is unfortunate because it, it makes you wonder like had he grown up in a better home life a more supportive family um maybe he wouldn't have gone down that path you yeah. know not to sympathize with him you know because i know i realize he he did commit murder several times and that is just like you know ridiculous and yeah exactly terrible but uh from a mental health standpoint you're just like i wish that nobody had to grow up in those types of circumstances exactly. you know it is what it is yeah though. and so now let, let's go back here to talking about our john doe that was in the van here and so um basically this john doe had not only met up him with once but a couple of times and and he said that you know they had met up and had nonviolent interactions made out here and there and whatnot but he did say in this particular instance that he this is him talking to the cops and he said, you know, in this particular instance in this van, I believed Bruce was going to kill me. Like, I believed I was getting killed. And that's why I freaked out, rolled over him, and ran out and told him I was going to call the cops. I, uh, yeah. M yes, this is, we're back to M Squared now. So he did tell him that. And this is when Bruce also went to the police and was like, that was a misunderstanding. We were just having some hanky-panky and uh, nothing, no big deal. It just, it was fine. You know, the other guy was like, no, this guy was trying to kill me. <laughs> For sure. He, you can tell the difference in, like, a little choke action and, like, I think this person wants to murder me. Exactly. Like, they want to stop my breathing. Exactly. This yeah, and so then again, no pics were taken within 72 hours, which is Canadian law that this is supposed to happen. And this basically just kind of points out, so Bruce was a very sophisticated person at, at lying and manipulation, so he was able to go to the cops. And this also segues back to, I mentioned um, in our last episode, that he had actually been interviewed way earlier in all of this, back in, like, 2013, as a person of interest, but then he got let go. And so he was a very believable man. He went in there. It's like, but I didn't do that. You know, he he knew how to work work these cops and work his way out of these situations, which also is a big reason why he went so long without getting caught because he did have these interactions with the cops, but he was able to get out of them pretty easily because he was he was a good liar. He was a good manipulator. Right. Um, I need to backtrack yeah. just slightly. Yeah. So when you said that he was outed to his wife, was it the one mystery man, John Doe guy, that outed him because he had that conversation like nobody knows? Or was it just like after that somehow? It got no, so this was so this scenario with that John Doe had happened after the outing had already happened. And so this was just a conversation this guy was having with Bruce and Bruce told him, yeah, no one knows I'm gay, but someone did out me to my wife. And that's what kind of led to my whole family crumbling. Okay. So this was just like a, this was like an in bed after sex conversation with this guy. And Bruce was just telling him these things and, and what had happened. So that guy did not out him to his wife. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I was just trying to like figure out like, um, if like maybe that incident, maybe it was that guy. And so that was like, maybe his like hatred, it fueled his hatred because it crumbled his life. And somebody gay went and told his wife he yeah. was gay. And yeah. so now he's like, I'm going to kill some gay people because my life is over. Like, I don't know. That's what, that was what was going through my head. That's what yeah. I was like, I was wondering if it was him and maybe that kind of fueled his hatred that he yeah, obviously Yeah, no, it had. definitely makes sense. Um, but it didn't, if that is what happened, that's not what it said in the documentary. They didn't make that clear. So I'm not, like, I guess that could have happened, but it, that's not what they said in the documentary. They just said, like, this is what happened. And he told this guy that he had been outed to his wife. So, right, gotcha. Good. My head is clear now. <laughs> All right, and anyway. so uh, he basically um, had he did have a resentment like towards the the gay community, and a lot of people when they look at this psychologically and look at Bruce, they 
they think you know this did have a lot to do with his own like internalized homophobia and his own resentment for being gay and possibly yeah like destroying his family and stuff like that very much reasonable thing to think and so um basically it got a little sketchy here because we had talked about um you know this this red van that he had assaulted this man in and he assaulted a man after andrew kinsman in it and had previously assaulted people in it and it was also on the cctv the last uh picture was the last thing andrew kinsman had gotten into that they they saw on the cctv as andrew kinsman left his apartment they saw this red caravan picking him up which is what led to this whole following this lead on these dodge caravans and so right as around the time that police started really to kind of investigate bruce and look into what was going on with him and, and his interactions well bruce sold his van he was like all right let's just eat that van out of here and so he sold it for 125 dollars wow <laughs> he didn't negotiate it at all it was the first person that wanted the van he was like yes take the van 125 bucks let's go dude i spend more than that at one trip to target <laughs> yeah, and seriously. somebody just got a whole ass murder van yeah so he he just sold this van so now the cops are like why did you sell your your red van all of a sudden for 125 dollars like what why did you do that grocery bills cost more than that like what what yeah for sure and so they went around to different auto like body shops looking for it and and bruce i guess had had a history of like wrecking vehicles kind of just a fun fact about him i guess like party trick oh what's your fun fact i wreck a lot of vehicles like like accidentally or is he like like accidentally no oh man it's kind of like how i am the murderer of all vehicles yeah exactly because every vehicle that runs through my uh my hands i i just it doesn't work anymore yeah Yeah. tragic thing that is tragic you do break a lot of vehicles i do yeah windshields transmissions i've had so many batteries you know tires (laughs) just goes on and on all right that's enough about me bruce mccarthy he he wrecked a lot of them i haven't ever wrecked one so he wrecked a lot of vehicles and so police were like all right let's go check out auto body shops and see if we can't look at some cars he might have had or maybe that's like where his van is or something and so they actually found it at a place called dom's auto parts and this is where bruce was like trying to sell it and so he did sell it he sold it for 125 dollars here and the cops were here watching this they were like we we see him here he's trying to sell this van he just offed it for 125 dollars little sketchy and so they ended up analyzing the van after that and so the, they were like hey hold on before you take off with this 125 dollars still you just got let us take a little peek in it. Let us just look at it. And so they did some investigations to the van and they did found some through forensic testing, some blood that was in there and they tested it and determined that it was indeed blood that belonged to Andrew Kinsman, who was obviously the last man that, that had gone missing and on CCTV had gotten into this van. And so the amount of blood that was in the van was very, very small though. And so they weren't able to determine that Andrew was murdered by that amount. Like Andrew could have nicked his finger. He could have had a nosebleed, you know, it, they have to have a, a certain amount to be able to say this is a murder scene as opposed to just like a little bit of blood because that's sketchy reason to look into it, but also can't confirm and 100% say this guy was murdered in this van. Not 100%, but you know, I feel like common sense. Yeah. It's like there's any amount of blood in this van that belonged to somebody who is completely missing and this guy's been on our radar. Like there's not a lot of like 
Uh, good coming for Bruce here. This is a lot of like arrows, big giant red arrows pointing oh, yeah. at him. Even, but I understand like from a legal standpoint that is not enough. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. but in in like a common sense standpoint, that is totally enough. Exactly. Yeah. I also though I feel like from the John Doe that his form of murdering could possibly be strangulation because that's what he tried to do with John Doe. So it may have been just like some blood splatter from maybe like a little like trying to fight back exactly or something. Yeah. yeah and so that's why they also couldn't confirm it because it could have just been like he fought him and yeah. then andrew came in and got away and we just don't know where he's at or something so that's why they couldn't say you know without a doubt uh without a reasonable doubt that right did they find anything else are you gonna tell so you? right now that's all i'm gonna tell you so it wasn't enough to make evidence or no, enough evidence to make an arrest and so at this point in time so between um September 5th and November 7th, 2017, police started to follow Bruce around to basically just establish his patterns and, and what he was doing. And so they just wanted to find out his uh, background, his lifestyle, see what the heck he was doing. And so during this period, they followed Bruce on 15 different dates. So on seven of those 15 dates, he was observed to be at a residence at uh, 53 Mallory Crescent in the city of Toronto. So this address becomes pretty significant. And so he was seen at this address one time with his son. Uh, they were engaged in yard work. Um, and so it's one of the places that he actually had been working on lawns very frequently. So this, this address was a client of his. So he, again, was a landscaping client. And so the address at uh, 53 Mallory Crescent was one of his clients. And the client that actually lived here, her name was Karen, which I know there's some stigma about Karens, but this isn't a bad Karen um she's an all right karen for the most part and so he would frequently work here at uh karen's house and basically they they were like okay well why is this guy here so much you know taking dates seven of these dates to karen's house that he works on landscaping with that that's kind of weird like most people aren't like hey let's let's go to my job um, on this date, you know. That is weird. <laughs> a little weird. Wait, okay, so they were following him, so he was physically taking his date yeah, so this is to Karen. Yeah, so this is when the police are basically like investigating from afar and like tailing Bruce to just find out okay. what his patterns are Why and like what is he's doing. He taking? So yeah, so during seven of those dates, or seven of those 15 dates, um, he was observed attending a residence at 53 Mallory Crescent. And so at one date he was seen with his son there, and he, um, when I say dates, I, I'm referring, I, I keep mixing these up. These are, these are dates, but also like dates, like the dates of like the 15th or oh, something yeah. like that. Oh yeah, no, no, I, I get you. So he had seven like physical person dates that he took to this. Yeah, 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 yeah. This yeah. house, yeah. right, gotcha. And so, um, and so they had followed him during this amount of time and, and seen this. And so on uh, September 10th here, they followed MacArthur to a coffee shop. Um, and they basically were like trying to get a DNA sample from him from like his coffee cup. They were like, okay, he's gonna throw his coffee cup away. Let's let's swap that coffee cup and and yeah. let's let's take a look at yeah. that and see what we can see. So some major like behind the scenes stuff I've going on here. Stuff. Yeah. So uh, they got it from a fork and a plate, and they were able to generate basically his entire DNA profile from this. So great, we got we got some leads here. And so um, they get this DNA. And after that, they basically uh, end up arresting him on January 8, 2018. And they take a video statement from the homeowners at this 53 uh, Mallory Crescent. And so they basically say, like, okay, well, how, how do you guys know Bruce? Like, why is Bruce been at your house so much? What have, what's been going on here? 
And so they tell him that they met uh, MacArthur through his sister. And so Bruce MacArthur did have a sister. And his sister basically like linked him up with these clients that needed yard work. And so that's how they met him. And so they said that they met him um, about 10 years ago. And MacArthur had asked if, hey, I have a bunch of this landscaping equipment. Can I just store it in your, your shed, your garage? Oh, and they said, yeah, Karen's? of course. At Karen's, yeah, this is at Karen's. And so they said, yeah, of course, like, no problem. And so Mr. Uh, MacArthur here, Bruce MacArthur, frequented this house, their house, uh, about two to three times per day. And so kind of a lot um, to kind of go back to the house. Like you would assume if you're working like a landscaping company that you would go and get your equipment like at the beginning of the day, do your work, and then maybe like bring it back on the days that you're working. Yeah, like I would never make multiple trips anywhere. Like if I can just get everything I need into my vehicle and then only have to come back when I'm done, like that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to be like, oh, I forgot my shovel. Let me go get that. Oh, forgot my fertilizer going back again. Like, yeah, that is a lot. Yeah, exactly. So that's a lot. You don't just keep going back and forth to it. That just seems like a waste of gas. I mean, it's possible, but it's a little weird. Yeah, it's just probably not a great business model. Like, you're just spending more money traveling back You're just, like, charging your clients extra because you're making all these trips back and forth to your shed. So, a little weird. Anyway, so, but he had a set of keys for the property that they had given him to access the shed to get his equipment because they trusted him. They thought he was a good guy. And so, then uh, there was a, a time back in May of this year of 2017. It was May of 2017. And they had, the family at this house had gone off uh, on vacation to a, to a little cottage, their little vacation cottage to hang out. And during that time, they had asked Bruce to just look after their house. They're like, hey, you're a lawn guy. You've got keys to the property. Um, can you just watch over the house, you know, water the plants, take care of stuff? Just and Bruce is like, yeah, sure. Plants, Bruce. Yeah. He's like, yeah, sure, of course. No problem whatsoever. And so while they're away, he looks after their home. And he's there a lot, just like working really late into the evenings. And they're just like, okay, like, I, you just like doing lawn work really late in the evenings, I guess. So he was actually doing lawn work or he was just going to that residence? Well, so they didn't have like cameras or anything. They just knew that he was like there late in the evenings because he had like told them and they could. Yeah. And so he was there working late in the evenings. And so they, the couple also said during this time, during this interview with them, he was like, yeah, he was watching over our house. He took care of our yard and he worked really late in the evenings while we were going on that vacation one time. But, um, take care of anyone else's yard in the neighborhood just ours like no, just ours no one else's <laughs> which if i was a cop i'd be like <laughs> why was he at your house two to three times per day only working at your yard and they're really late in the evenings only like how much yard work do you only have while you guys are gone yeah and uh only your house like i assume that some of the neighbors were also his clients then and they probably knew their neighbors and yeah. they knew that like he hadn't done anything to their yards because they knew it was only their yard um yeah bruce bruce yeah a little weird little Come weird on. you're you're looking suspicious very Super suspicious sus. very suspicious and so then from there um they the couple also mentions they're like oh yeah and, and also we've seen bruce working um with some middle eastern men like he brings them along and he works with them hence like those those dates right and so he 
he brings them along and he's he's been working with quite a few middle eastern men and so majid that we mentioned going missing was actually one of these men and carrie Ann had actually mentioned that she had seen you know this majid before working with him um over in their yard once and so he would bring these dates on work trips with them which is kind of weird and uh they would do some work with him which they had seen this very frequently so the couple also mentions that which also the cops at this point should be like red flags blaring like what <laughs> they're like van blood yeah. victim wait he has more victims and we've got witnesses claiming his little day working trips? yeah like oh yeah yeah so um so after this all happens so they basically um decide that they're gonna bring in a search warrant on this residence of course they're like all right he's been here a lot he's been here really late at night we have them saying that they've seen him with middle eastern men here and they're like we need to investigate this house so they bring in a search warrant bring in bring in bring bring in so they bring in a search warrant and they arrive here with cadaver detection dogs to sniff out this property and say like where the hell like what's going on here they love dogs. and so while they are they have these dogs out on this property they're good boys yes they are the goodest boys 100 percent certified good boys good boys. so they bring these dogs and these cadaver dogs are drawn to five very large planters on this property oh no in the backyard oh and so the cadaver dogs are sniffing around they're really into these pots and the cops are like all right why are you so into these pots guys so for the next few months they're really interested in these pots as well they're like our dogs are interested in pots we are interested in these pots and so they take all five of these pots they seize them from the property and they run them through x-ray Oh, shit. They don't, they don't dig out anything yet because they don't want to disturb stuff, right? They just want to know why the dogs are looking into these pots. Right, yeah. Least evasive yeah. measures. So they're like, all right, well, we're just going to send them through x-ray machines. So they send them through x-rays. And in one of the pots on uh, Karen, her name's Karen Frazier. I didn't say her last name earlier. Her name's Karen Frazier. On her property, uh, the x-ray shows up just big, bright, blaring x-ray, a rib cage at one of these planters. Oh, my goodness. And so now they're like, huh, Cool. We've clearly got some human remains going on in these planters, Karen. What's going on? And so then they uh, look through the rest of them, and it turns out that uh, not only those five that they seized, they ended up x-raying many planters on her property. Right. And they found 15 planters with human remains of them. Three human torsos with bones. Oh, my God. And Karen, this whole time, had been watering these planters. They had plants in them. And Karen had just been walking around just watering these plants with these human remains inside of dude them. okay so this is gonna be a little morbid and i apologize in advance my, my, Are we about my listeners about that steak with the tree okay yes because <laughs> i saw this post once about like burying like a bone from like a steak or ribs or something by a tree and then going like digging it back up and it just totally being gone now i have not done any scientific research on this but i saw this post so i always think about it <laughs> And so now then we have this, and I'm like, oh, man, not only that, it was, like, providing, she's watering it, and it's providing nutrients yeah. to these plants. They're, like, getting all their proteins and things from these bones. Yeah. Jesus. So, anyways, yeah. Um, sorry, guys, but I know. I haven't done any research on if that's actually possible. That's just what was going through my brain over here, so I had to let it out. Okay, so Karen. All her pots have human remains in them. She has no idea. No idea. She's watering her babies because we all love our plants. That's right. And that's what we do. We water them and we trust our landscapers. Yeah. You trust your landscaper to not be fucking throwing 
femurs and bones and torsos and shit into Just your planters. Chopping them up and putting them in planters. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, All right. um, and so also, uh, side note from this also that Bruce would frequently come and have lunch at Karen's just around her property like with these planters and these bodies like he would go sit out in the patio in the backyard and just like eat his sandwich and have his lunch knowing that he had put like all these human remains and all these planters around her property and so this is what he was doing all those late nights and this is why he visited two to three times per day this is what he was doing he's visiting the graves of his victims and having lunch and dinner exactly sick it's disgusting that is disgusting. And so they ended up identifying the remains of uh, Kinsmen, Sarush, and Skanda um, and these planters here on Karen's property um, just through DNA testing. And so then they were like, all right, well, like, we know that he doesn't take care of anyone else's yards in this specific neighborhood, but he has other clients besides Karen. So let's go look at their properties, too, because, like, we're missing some victims here still. We've only got three that we've identified. And so they end up going and searching through um, other properties that. Bruce had been uh, being doing the landscaping for, and they did end up finding uh, body parts in pretty much all, of, like in planters at all of the different residences that he had been doing landscaping at. So not only was he spreading them out at Karen's house, he was spreading them all over Toronto and everybody's planters. He was just spreading them everywhere. So it took them weeks, literally weeks, to identify all the remains because they had to go to so many different places and find all of them. And so finally, they found all seven vic- or seven of the victims in planters except for Majid. That was the only one they hadn't found yet. And so at some place in Toronto, in someone's planters in their garden, they had found one of his victims and all their body parts. And so it's like November at this point in time. It's winter. It's Canada. It's snowy. And so January, we're moving into January now, I guess, is when this actually started happening. And so... Um, it's really snowy, and so after the thaw, so when all this snow finally starts melting, come springtime, police go back to Karen's, and they're like, "Karen's, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do a little dig on your place because they had found the most at Karen's, right? They had found right. some in other well, places, that but seems to be his most frequented spot." Yeah, exactly. And so they go back to Karen's after the thaw, and they do a huge like excavation of the whole like her whole property, and they're like just tearing Sorry, it. Sorry, Karen. Poor Karen. I feel so bad for Karen. Like, oh, it's terrible. And so, um. Within an hour, they find a, a body in a garage pill, and it's Majid's. So it gets identified as Majid. And it's literally about five feet away from the spot where whenever Karen said, like, yeah, I saw him with that. Like, they showed a picture of Majid, and she was like, yeah, I saw them with Majid over there uh, way back when doing work with him. Like, they were working together. It was like five feet from that area that they found a garage or a pill in the garage uh, with his remains in them. So a pe- it was a pill. It was a pill. In the garage. In yeah. her garage had a body in it. I didn't say it was in the garage. It was in a garage pill. So it was like an appell you would keep in your garage. Oh, okay. So but I, it was maybe buried yeah, because yeah. they were digging up the earth. Exactly. Okay, so I don't gotcha. think it was just like chilling in the garage yeah. and nobody smelled it or anything. That's sick, dude. Like, yeah. did he like murder him that day and bury him? I guess so. Like just five feet away, right? Like Karen's inside making lemonade and he's out there freaking murdering Murdering Majid, and yeah. burying them. It's messed up. Like, don't look. Don't worry about what I'm doing over here, Karen. I'm planting your freaking daffodils. <laughs> you stay in there and make your pies, Karen. Don't you worry about it. I got your flowers planted, all right? Flowers going to be just fine. I put some extra fertilizer down. (laughs) I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. Disclaimer. We do tend to make jokes at very inappropriate times, and we apologize. It's the trauma, my dudes. It's It's the the trauma. trauma, But again, we are not making fun of our victims at all. This is a tragic thing that happened to these men. And so um, they've interviewed Karen at this point. They were like, Karen, like a news news station. And they're like, Karen. Like, were you just, are you disturbed to find that there were so many people on your property buried? And she was like, 
yeah like yes of course why would i not be but then she mentioned like i'm just really upset by the fact that like these were men with families because she'd been following the news and she's like you know they had kids they had wives and she's just really like distraught over this had been happy on her property from this man that she completely trusted and thought was just like good old grandfather like doing landscaping hey check your landscapers people check your landscapers and so this whole thing happens and i uh it wasn't great in documenting my timeline here, but um, so they also went back to uh, Bruce's apartment. They received a warrant to investigate Bruce's apartment. And we're actually going to backtrack a little bit here because this was before they discovered all the, the planters and everything. So I mentioned earlier that there were uh, actually four survivors um, that had had encounters with Bruce here and had, had come out and, and survived and not, not been killed by him. And so um, during this whole time when they were following him around, and um, trying to pick up on his habits and whatnot, they followed him on um, a little, a little ordeal, little investigation here, where they followed him back to um, his apartment. He he brought a guy back to his apartment, and so they basically at this point knew, like, and this was prior again to finding the bodies, but they knew Bruce was suspicious. They were like, "All right, he's probably killing people. We've got this van with Andrew Kinsman's blood in it. He sold it for one hundred twenty-five dollars." Like. Something's going on, and he's got to be connected to all these things. And so they uh, follow him, but they won't let him like go back to his house with anybody alone without trailing him. And so they see this guy that he picks up in, in the village again, in the, in the gay village on Church and Wesley, and they follow him back. And so when he gets there, um, he basically, like, Bruce kind of was starting to get, like, suspicious they were picking up on him, too. And so he had parked in, like, a different spot than he normally parks and, like, taken this guy up to his apartment. And they were like, all right, like, he's being sketchy. Let's follow his ass. And so he lived on the 19th floor of his building. It's just like really Goodness. ridiculous. That's a ways to go. And so uh, they had to wait for him to like get up. And then they were like trying to get up as well. And so while they're trying to get, they wait till him, for him to get up. So they weren't like obvious they were trailing him. And then they followed him up. So it's 19th floor. So like it took a minute. And so they finally get up there and they go and they, they knock on the door. And he's, he's got this new guy in there that he just, he just brought home, which I, this guy was not identified by name. He's one of the anonymous guys. And um, he might have been identified later, um, but during this documentary, he was not. And so he dances the door and police basically were like, let us in. They just push Bruce out of the way and they get into his apartment and they find a man who is bound naked to the bed. He's still alive, but um, he had a black bag on his head. And MacArthur just MacArthur just told him, like, we're just trying something new, like nothing to see here. Just trying something new. So police are like, fuck you, no, you're not. And so that is actually, like, that's when they arrested him and they started the investigation. Good. And so, yeah, I did so backtrack my So he was under bit. custody when they were finding all the When they were finding on the bodies, yes. Okay, yeah, when they I, found that the was a question I was going to Yeah, that was my I fault. I was thinking in my head whether or not he was in custody yeah. when they were finding Yeah, that was my fault. I backtracked a little bit. If they had arrested him after they started finding them. So now we know he was yeah, in custody. Yeah, so he was in custody. Because <laughs> he was just trying something new, guys. Yeah. And so um, they, after that, they were like, all right, this guy probably would have been the ninth victim had we not show up. Like, he of was course. definitely probably going to kill this guy. And so they arrest him, and that's when they start looking for the bodies and interviewing him and trying to figure out what's going on. And that leads us to the whole, like, planter story and, and all that, which is just absolutely wild. And so, but during their whole investigation as well, they also um, go in and they uh, seize his computer. They start investigating that um, when they get access to his apartment. And so they get about 50% off his computer so that they're able to like seize and, and have good data from. And during this, they basically um, find a bunch of pictures of men on his computer. And one of them was of Andrew Kinsman. And at the time in the picture, Andrew Kinsman was clearly deceased. 
And so he had posed Andrew Kinsman um, with like a, a fur coat and a, a cigar in his mouth. And so that brings us back to the fur coat that was in his van. He like had this kink thing for fur coats. And so they found photos of him. They also found photos of the other missing men as well, who also all appeared to be deceased. So this was the point in time that they were able to say these men are dead. Before that, they were all just missing cases men. They weren't able to say for sure that they had died. They hadn't found bodies and anything like that. But this really launched them into really searching to find the remains of all these men, which again led us to the planters and whatnot. And so, yeah, so he had all these like different men pictures and they were all clearly dead they were on his bed and they were posed in different ways it was just sick and so they found this whole thing on his computer and so they basically just said like of course like many serial killers do he was keeping these photographs as a souvenir and and it was just kind of his way of, of holding his little trophies from all the sick shit he was doing so moving on from there um we then get into kind of what they determined happened to these men and so they weren't um, they basically said that like for many of the victims that were in the planters, they weren't able to fully confirm how they died, but uh, strangulation was a big one. And so primarily he strangled them. There was also a picture on his computer. I don't remember which victim. It might have been Andrew Kinsman, but um, it was very clear that he had his um, he, he had like ligature on his neck and it was like held down by like a metal bar. And so he was strangling him, but it like wasn't a direct strangulation. He had like set up a contraption, I guess, to like strangle him. And so primarily strangulation is what happened to them. And so at this point, so we have basically remains. We've got confirmed pictures of who have been killed. We have cause of strangulation for much all of them. And so let's just so because we had mentioned a little bit earlier um, in last episode that uh, that Canada had a a Switzerland ally here that had tried to cue police on very early on um, into this investigation. And so, uh, yeah, during the original kind of right before uh, Project Houston had started, they received a uh, tip from a man in Switzerland who, who was like, hey, um, you might have a, a cannibal living in the Toronto area. And so it turns out this man, uh, he had actually gotten this information. And so there's apparently, and I, I cannot confirm this because I'm definitely not going to go explore it, but there's apparently a, a cannibal fantasy website uh, called Zambian Meat, which is, it's, that's disgusting. <laughs> like, I just can't. And so it's basically where users will discuss like torturing and eating people. It's, it's like dark web shit. And so uh, this is the, the website that this man in Switzerland had seen this tip on because there was a user in particular who had claimed the healed and eaten a man in Toronto. And so that's why this guy was like, hey, check this out. Might have a guy in, in Toronto eating people, but but why is our our Swiss ally on the you know website? I have that I question have that as well. Investigative <laughs> purposes. I think it's investigative because he did identify the the cannibal in Europe. So I feel right. like our homie in Switzerland probably is not a cannibal, but probably is just interested in like why the fuck these people do this and is helping identify them. Maybe we I don't know. Totally I'm gonna know, hope but, that's what's happening. But plot twist: Switzerland man isn't actually from switzerland and switzerland man is a cannibal <laughs> reporting himself he's reporting himself he's from like, another country. <laughs> like he's like but i'm in switzerland this is happening in toronto i don't know what to tell you yeah i'm just i'm just I'm yeah, no. <laughs> but uh yeah but that does raise the question though like why is he what's on there let's just cross our fingers everybody and hope that it's just investigative reasons maybe he's just like what the hell's wrong with these people i gotta look into this 
Yeah. We'll give him, the, we'll give him the, the benefit of the doubt until proven, like, that he's actually involved in some sort of weird. Yeah. Thing. And so, <laughs> and so basically, this this is where we're just kind of segue off this story so I can tell you guys what happened here. And so, the cops, of course, are just like, what? We have a cannibal, okay? And so, um, the authorities also believe this victim or this user that had that had mentioned this was pretty credible because during the conversation as we mentioned in our last episode he had referred to skanda specifically during the conversations and so this guy was like okay which this guy may have just been watching the news or something because he, they were reported but they just weren't investigated well and so um at the same time the cops also started like realizing like we have these other people because the guy in switzerland was like you also have three other people missing you look into that so they're like okay we're gonna look into it and so they flew to switzerland at the time and they interviewed this man determined that he was credible based on the fact that he had identified other people and that's when they launched the investigation of project houston so we talked about that all in the last um the last episode here and so during this investigation though they actually were able to uh trace this user in question who had been who had commented about eating a man in toronto and his username, oh, it's cringy, was a uh, Chef Mate Fifty. Chef Mate. Yeah, 50? yeah, like yeah. Checkmate, yeah. but Chef Mate Fifty yeah. on a cannibal yeah. site, yeah. which is yeah. disgusting. disgusting. Again, okay. sick. Yeah. And so they it's learned so that his real identity yeah. was a man named Jam Jam Jams Jams. With jamming. His name was James Alex James Brunton. And he was a former hospital technician living in Peterborough, Ontario. And so those people working in Project Houston basically called him like Suspect Zero because like he was what they like that he was originally related to Bruce MacArthur case, but it wasn't Bruce MacArthur. And so for about seven months or so, they actually surveyed or surveilled uh, Brutton and investigated him with his potential involvement in this whole missing case thing going on in Toronto. And they actually considered him to be possibly linked to uh, Luke Magnata. Which, if people haven't heard of Luke McNaughta, Luke McNaughta is the very sick man who, um, back in uh, 2012, posted a video online of him called uh, One Lunatic, uh, One Ice Pick, or something like that. And where he, on live, uh, he posted a video of him, like, murdering a college student by the name of Jun Lin and dismembering him. It's a very sick video that was circulating back in 2012. And it, there's actually a documentary on Netflix about it um, called Don't Fuck With Cats. And so if you want to watch that, uh, beware. It's um, it's hard to watch. It's pretty sick. Um, but it is all about Luke McNaughta, who was also a very sick man. Because basically the whole concept was that he posted many videos leading up before the death of Jun Lin and they were of him torturing cats and stuff and so people online started picking up on this and were like this guy's doing this and they basically were trying to tell cops like some shit's gonna happen and cops weren't listening to them and then eventually he ended up murdering this college student on camera and like dismembering him on live camera and so terrible disgusting sickness this guy was like a cannibal he actually ate part of this man on on camera and so it was just really dark times i remember hearing about this when i was in high school so it came out right off that whole like two girls one cup thing too it was disgusting that's why it was like i took one ice pick it's just a whole sick ass twisted thing so anyway they uh they investigated uh brutton here our our actual cannibal that this guy had identified um as possibly being related to magnata but um there were um not any links that had been identified and also there were not any links tied to bruce MacArthur. so bruce MacArthur was not a cannibal he did not eat his uh his his members he just buried them in planters instead um so uh, not much better really but that uh that is kind of where that whole thing led to and so um he was confirmed not to be a cannibal not related to that and it was actually someone else that that was the cannibal working in the ontario area but he was that that guy was convicted uh, in 2014 so he's no longer out there um so That's all is well good. um 
Yeah, I mean, I guess that kind of could explain why maybe the police were not so interested in Bruce because they knew they were they were distracted trying figure to figure out this guy. Figure out this yeah, guy. and they, they were investigating they him as connected to the missing persons right. in Canada. Right. So they really yeah. were looking at him. I would love to know why the Switz guy yeah. thought like like maybe the other dude was just like making like um like false stuff on there. I mean not really false stuff but just like making comments about the missing person and just trying to I don't know get some attention or something and he had just mentioned that and so that's why the guy was like whoa wait a minute that's an actual missing person this guy mentioned that person maybe something like that happened yeah but I mean I guess I can see that that's how the police um force could have been a little distracted yeah which yeah. worked in Bruce's favor, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that's what it is, because this was also, uh, Project Houston was happening at the same time that Bruce was interviewed, but then let go. And so it's very likely that they were just so tied up into thinking that this cannibal guy might have been it, which I'm not going to blame Mr. Switzerland. I feel like Mr. Switzerland was trying to do the right thing for sure, but he may have derailed the cops a little bit off of Bruce's trail. It, it seems like he may have, but yes, his intentions yeah. were probably pure because like you were saying anybody has access to the fact that these people were exactly missing yeah it's public knowledge and their names yeah. you know basic stuff and so maybe this sicko was on his cannibal website and he was like oh this missing guy which is not trying to cool. throw him off their trail um, yeah maybe he wasn't even trying to throw him off maybe he was just trying to get some attention true on the website true. you know and it just the switz guy was like whoa 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 no 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 <laughs> and it unfortunately was not accurate but it is what it is yeah man. so um from there basically at this point cops are like all right bruce we got you man we got you like you fucking did this you killed these men you buried them in planters on poor karen fraser's property just watering her sweet flowers yeah countless others who were just trying to make their yards look nice just terrible and so uh bruce ends up pleading guilty to eight counts of murder for all eight of them um this did avoid a trial but he received no chance of parole for 25 years and he was sentenced to life in prison without access to parole for 25 years so this was the harshest uh, sentence uh, that canada could give him because canada doesn't have um, a no death penalty so life in prison no chance of parole for 25 years and um yeah so that's kind of the so that's where he, that's remains. Where he remains. He, prison, he remains right? in prison. So unfortunately, we did have the, the loss of life of, of all these beautiful men that definitely did not deserve this whatsoever. Um, Kinsman, Essen, Majid, Dean, Sarush, Skanda, uh, Abdul Bazur, and Karushna, um, and also the men who were attacked, um, which I'm sure that trauma lives on for sure. Yeah, for sure. So um, the guy with the bag on his head when the police mm-hmm. officer showed up, did he was he one of the anonymous like i don't want to talk about it i try to find his name and so when i mentioned there were there were four people who um survived him um two of the survivors one was in a uh the guy who survived the van attack um that i'd mentioned um one was a guy named sean cribben um he was not the guy who um was in that the, there that night um then there was another guy named petro sagromo um he also survived and then the one that of the arrest night which was the one that um we mentioned in the story with the bag over his head was unidentified he's never come forward so we don't actually know his name could you imagine getting so fortunate that the cards just fell in your favor that you 
had the police show up and just yeah. save your ass like you had a bag on yeah. your head and, and also just like how it. quick that happened because i mentioned like they were trailing him he went up those 19 floors and cops like they didn't just sit down for a while they waited a little bit and then they were like all right let's go like it wasn't like they waited three hours or something yeah, like the, he yeah, yeah like no, he took him up there and was ready to go they knew. like that's crazy it, it, i mean it had probably been a while and so he was probably just like honestly yeah. i'm surprised that he was that meticulous about yeah, it. yeah no for sure so yeah that's that's so, yeah, the bruce macarthur case and at the end of this whole documentary you know we're basically just coming forward and just saying like you know bruce pretty much just lived with repressed like shame and resentment for who he was and uh that, that whole his idea of like sex just represented like power in cases which of course it usually does um and that uh these cases he he never had like he never got to have that sexual power like due to his repressed feelings and his own sexuality and whatnot so he took it out on these men um these innocent men who definitely did not deserve this whatsoever and so it it all comes back to that internalized like homophobia and and yeah homophobia he had the the alcohol exactly yeah. who back in like what 50s exactly. he probably definitely wasn't accepting of anything exactly, other yeah. than hetero relationships and he was already a drunk and violent from what it seems exactly like. yeah and so he's you learning know, that from his so, father on top of having these feelings right yeah so yeah, it's again not an excuse at all but you see the psyche that develops um in this case with him and it doesn't excuse any horrible thing he did but there is a psyche that develops there of, of a lack of tolerance and, and what that can kind of turn into and, and the monsters it can create so sucks yeah so. it can and, and it's been seen time and time and time again with uh the most prolific Serial killers we've yeah. known about having yeah. these terrible childhoods. Yeah. Some of them not. Yeah. Some of them not. But a good amount of killers, they go through like this terrible uh, upbringing. And so aside from like this case and everything, it's, I just think that that brings light to how serious we need to Definitely. take mental health and uh, our upbringings and the trauma that's experienced. and how we need to be more sensitive to it and try and like avoid these things from happening. I mean, that you can't just fix every family, but as people who are a little more educated and with the, like the social media presence and stuff, I mean, just paying attention, being, being vigilant, especially at like young ages and stuff. Like even in some of my classes I've taken like over the past like two years, we have had to be, um, people that we we have to tell if we yeah. witness something or we think something's yeah. going on you know we have to tell somebody even if it's anonymous you know that we don't think that the, that we think something's going on if a kid shows up with bruises on their yeah. arms or something you have a duty to report speak up about it yeah exactly a duty to report and um and i think that's so important because stopping things at such an early stage of life could potentially prevent monsters from being created like this because you know no he is he is 100 percent at fault and it was his actions and stuff but that upbringing like it can really yeah. fuck you up you know and, yeah. it, and it's sad because he could have had a totally different life and all those men could have exactly. had their lives not interrupted in yeah for sure and so I will but, make a, a little correction know, here. I did say in the, the first episode here that, that Bruce, McA Bruce MacArthur was uh, like the most prolific one. He was one of them. I he's not the most prolific one. 
he was the most prolific one in the Toronto area, but not in all of Canada. So I just wanted to fact check there and correct that a little bit because I did misspeak there because we obviously had like, uh, what's his name? William Pinkton or whatever, the pig farmer guy. He was Canadian and he... I don't know if that's... Oh, okay. Well, uh, he, he was a bad dude and he, he killed a lot of people. Sounds like so he was, he was like, I think he was actually considered the most prolific, but I just want to correct that for facts because I try to make a, we're trying to make a very accurate podcast here. And so we want to make sure we get our facts straight. Um, yeah. And you know, before we close out, I did want to, um, mention again about how I was talking about that. Um, it sends your location when your battery is really low thing. I looked into that. And so it's actually in your find my phone part of your, um, your, your cell phone, if you have Apple. So it was actually intended to help you if your phone dies and you're looking for it. It wasn't really for a safety measure. It's like, oh, I lost my phone and it's dead. So that's what it was in place for. So it's in your actual find my phone settings where you can set it to where it sends that notification when it's really low. It sends it to Apple. So you'd call Apple and ask where that location was when you have a critically low battery. And so, you know, Apple trying to help people out that lose their phones frequently, I guess, um, that could also be a safety thing. You know, your phone gets critically dead and you can call Apple and you can find out that location if you're concerned about somebody. So, yeah, so that is in the find my phone settings on your iPhone device. All right. And so, yeah, um, that that wraps up the Bruce MacArthur case. Uh, My timeline and and notes were just a, a wee bit wonky, but... It is our first episode, so we're just kind of experimenting second with episode. the well, first, first story. Um, but yeah, second episode. And so we're still figuring out format here and, and kind of our research methods and whatnot. So, but I feel like I did an okay job. Uh, no, it, was a, it was a big I think one. I did a good job. And it, I think actually like the, the, the move in the time frame around a little bit, it kind of keeps people's attention. But if you guys disagree, then please let us know. We... We want the feedback. We want to make um, our supporters and listeners happy, and we want you to enjoy this, and we don't want you to be all confused and stuff. So if it was confusing, let us know. We'll try to put it in a more chronological order. But if you didn't, if it didn't bother you at all, then, you know, we'll just keep on doing our thing, and we'll just wait for your feedback, man. Yeah, for sure. Constructive criticism is welcome, but also please... uh consider rating us and following us and liking us uh reviews on apple Podcasts really help us um and you can also go to our facebook page uh it's just queer fears podcast and you can also like us on instagram at queer fears podcast you can also follow us on twitter at queer fears pod i have not posted anything on twitter but it's there we just wanted to make sure our name was secured and then uh, we will in the near future also be working on a youtube channel that is a queer fears podcast so (laughs) so uh, follow those pages yes follow those pages follow us everywhere comment interact with us uh we love to hear back from you guys we've gotten some very positive feedback from a lot of people and it's felt amazing we're so glad you guys are enjoying it for all the haters out there we just whatever there's always going to be haters haters gonna gonna hold off our shoulders because there's always going to be and honestly Fortunately, we've only had a, a minute amount. Yeah. Um, most of it's been love and support, and I think so it's been love. so much love and support. Nobody's given us any. Cr- cr- yeah, we, we need help. We need help, y'all. We need to know how to make this better for you.
So please give us some constructive criticism on how we can make this. uh, Hopefully the audio, uh, number one, is better on this episode. We tried our best. Uh, We know that was kind of a critique of the first one. Um, but if any anything comes up, order of the ep- order of like how we're telling the stories, or if our audio is still crap, <laughs> or anything like that. Or if we're missing some information, and you're like, hey, because you know when we're when we're doing this, like we we kind of talk to each other, and uh, like we obviously like ask questions, and and maybe the other doesn't have the answer at the moment and stuff. But like if we were missing anything that you caught on to that we didn't catch on to please ask we will find that information yeah. for you we'll provide it to you on all of our mini there you go all of them uh you'll be able to find it yeah. somewhere and to go um, off of that you know i told a very uh quick version of this story if i was to tell you every little detail of this case we would have been here for hours upon hours upon hours because there is a lot so i highly encourage you that if this case did interest you to do some research on your own because there's a lot more to learn um i used a lot of the information that came from a documentary actually on uh, oxygen uh, called catching a serial killer bruce MacArthur. so that was the first thing i watched and then i also just did like a lot of stuff on like wikipedia but checked my sources there um some news articles from like bbc Um, But there's a lot out there. There's a whole investigative report where you can read all the details from the investigations. And so, again, I don't have time in this podcast to read every little thing. So I tried to summarize it to the best of my abilities. But if it interests you, by all means, check out those sources um, and we will post them soon. Um, We're getting a blog kind of up and going. So we'll post our sources. So if you want more details about it, um, you're welcome to go check out those sources and and learn more on your on your own time and more time than what we have here yeah cool that was uh that was an interesting yeah. one i told you the investigation first, was a the first one we we i feel like we really i did go for it on the first one i'm trying to draw in our, oh, our yeah. people here people here i hope i hope, I hope we, did. we did cynthia cynthia we hope you we kept you throughout this episode we love you thank yeah, you for all your love yeah i was i was gonna give my homegirl cynthia a shout out because uh she has been one of our biggest, one of our biggest supporters yeah. among some others like uh maddie we yeah. love maddie she's she uh is yeah, a big Callie, Lydia, as well. Callie, Lydia. Lydia. Yeah, we've we've got a lot of really good supporters, and if we didn't mention you, I am so sorry. We'll we get love to you, you I all. <laughs> but uh, Cynthia, in particular, she had sent me a message mid podcast, and I was like, oh, she's been like messaging me every day, like, where's the second episode? <laughs> and uh, so I was like, hey, we're recording. It's all good. And she was like, yeah, woohoo! So shout out to you, Cynthia. We love you. We love your support. Thank All right. You. Well, I think we can wrap it up there. So, yeah. All right, guys. Sorry, our ending's still so awkward. We're working on it. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll fix it some point in time. <laughs> All right, guys. Hope you enjoy. All right. Let us know what you think. Happy listening. Happy listening. Peace out.